This week at Hope Point. It's almost as if God's own people and God's own leaders have lost their nerve and their confidence in Scripture to say that the primary thing that's going wrong with culture is a lack of repentance. Just afraid to say it. As a matter of fact, culture is saying, we will come to church when the church repents from its teaching on repentance. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen now as Richard speaks to us from God's Holy Word. We are uh, so excited about all the things your ears get to hear today. You know, when the early church uh, started growing from village to village and region to region, going from the Middle East uh, to Europe, uh, even eventually across the Atlantic. But when the church started growing, God told all the missionaries and the church planters, in every city where I do a work, I want you to plant a church and the, assign elders to lead it. And the purpose of the elders in that specific location was to ask one question, are we doing all that we can to magnify the name of God in this church for the people of this city? They were always evaluating, is every song and sermon accomplishing that purpose? In just a minute, you're going to hear from two potential elders at this church who will join a present team of eight elders. And I want you to more than anything else, hear what they're going to share, and that is how they came to know Jesus Christ as the Savior of their life. Because when they join myself and the other elders, the purpose that it really forms the, the energy of all of our meeting is we're asking, what can we do to make sure every person in this uh, body of believers is growing in devotion to Christ, service to Christ, the knowledge of Christ. How can we optimize everybody's gifting so that the full work of God can be done? And these men are a part of that. Now, it is our tradition here that we give you several weeks after these men share that if there are any questions you have about their theology uh, or any area of their life that would fall under the category of morality, that we want you to examine them. These men want to be examined. We believe with all of our heart they're walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, but we want to give you several weeks to confirm that. So in, in just a moment, Roy Renard's going to share, followed by Todd Nethery, who are approaching our, our new elders, new elder team for this coming four-year term. Good morning, church. Good morning. I was born in Hollywood, Florida, near Miami. My uh, dad had immigrated from France and found his way to North Carolina where he worked at Billy Graham's farm and later was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. A job opportunity brought him to South Florida where he met my mother. They married and had me in November and my brother the following December. Unfortunately, my mom passed away when I was only five and uh, that began the bachelor years. Many weekends at the Keys, deep sea fishing, I actually learned how to swim in the ocean. Several years later at a church we were attending, my brother and I heard a powerful gospel message from a visiting evangelist, and my brother and I both went forward at the end of the service to invite Jesus into our hearts. There really was only one major rule in the bachelor years, no contact with the despised next door neighbor. You might ask why she's despised. Well, they let their cat roam around freely, and it always found its way into our 
dad's carport where the washer and dryer was and so after a long day of work and he's going to put some wash in the flips the light and the cat jumps out at him he uh, he claims it took years off of his life uh, the despised neighbor's husband passed away and soon that same neighbor became our amazing new mom <laughs> they had two kids as well and so uh, the new Brady Bunch family needed more space, and so we made our way to Central Florida in a town called Eustis. We found a great church in Eustis, and my parents began serving and modeling the Christian life for us. They didn't preach to us, they just lived it. Um, I can remember my dad, just as far as giving, he would always have his, his uh, envelope with his check sitting on the dresser so he wouldn't forget it every, every Sunday, and um, just modeled Christ for us. Also got into the RAs and GAs as you did in those days, and uh, we also had an amazing uh, youth choir that we would learn a new musical every year and then take it on tour in the summer in uh, Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina where families at the church would host us in their homes. It was a, it was a great experience. Well, that was the good Roy. The, the other Roy, not so much. I would say my middle and high school years and early college years for that fact were, were filled with someone who lived only for self. It was me first, completely selfish, pride, arrogance, you name it. What was best for me, what pleased me. So if lying made me look better, I lied. If cheating helped me to get what I wanted, I cheated. I took things that didn't belong to me. My relationships were not God-honoring. Uh, I was still going to church and looking good on the outside, but truly only living for me, self-serving to the core. Fast forward to my junior year at the University of Florida. I got invited to the um, local Baptist Student Union and met a college minister there. And several, uh, we became friends and I started going to his church. And um, so we started working together and he asked me to help him plan a, a college weekend retreat. And so I did the room assignments and the food prep and all those kind of things. And um, I was actually putting myself through school, so I couldn't even afford to go on the, uh, on the retreat. So that Sunday when everybody got back, I asked the first person I saw, how was the retreat? And he said, Steve got saved. I made the room assignments and I didn't have a Steve. I said, Steve who? And they said, Pastor Steve. I was completely floored. Person had gone through seminary, uh, and and he f he felt like he only had a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge of Jesus. And uh, in the days ahead, many of us, including myself, uh, asked Jesus into our lives um, to change our lives, to have a heart knowledge, not just a head knowledge. And God began transforming me in ways that instead of living for self. I tried to live to serve others. Instead of being selfish, I wanted to be more selfless. And Jesus changed my life and helped me be able to impact others for him. My first job took me from Florida to South Carolina where I won the wife lottery and met my wife Susan. Still can't believe she married me. Um, we had two beautiful daughters and, and later the Lord called us to adopt and so we adopted two more girls. So yes, we did a lot of wash. Uh, God has taken us through breast cancer, through leukemia with one of our children. Um, many of those kind of things separate families. 
and instead we drew on the Lord and he drew us together. Uh, God has allowed me to serve in mission trips in Nicaragua and other states, and that's always been a privilege to serve him in, outside of the local church. My wife and I have taught and served at several churches in Greenville where we first met and then later when we moved to Spartanburg. Um, and then in 2014, the Lord led us to this great church, and I began serving in the youth as a small group leader. And so far, they haven't kicked me out yet, so I'm coming back, coming back tonight. Uh, I look forward to serving as an elder in this amazing church. Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is, is Todd Nethery. And uh, I want to say first off that uh, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of my sins, and I don't have any other hope except in Him, and I wanted to get that out first, just in case I run out of time. But uh, I, I, uh, my, my story is, uh, is, is going to be brief. I, I was raised in a small town in South Carolina in Abbeville. Um, I came from a great family. They, um, they raised us well. Church was important. They wanted my brother and I to be exposed to God's Word. And so I remember being exposed to God's Word at a very early age. And when I was nine years old, my mother took my brother and I to a revival service at a local church, another church. And I think for the first time that night, I understood the gospel. God opened my heart and did that miracle that he does and helps us to understand our sin and where that leaves us in relation to him. And I knew that I was hopeless without Christ. I understood those two things and I put my faith and trust in Christ and I believe that is when God ushered me into the, to the family of God. Unfortunately, I didn't grow much uh, after that. And uh, I spent my middle school and high school years um, mainly asking questions about how my faith really played out in life and never really applied God's word and God's truth to my life. As I got older and the college decision was looming, I decided to enroll at Clemson. I look back on that decision now and um, I think it was a great experience, but I did that for all the wrong reasons. I'll tell you about that someday if you want to know. But um, I, I landed at Clemson and, and I'm going to spare you the details of my freshman year. It was just a disaster. It really was. Um, God allowed me to experience uh, failure from an academic and from an athletic and from a social standpoint. And I was really... Uh, when I went home that summer at the end of the first year was really on my heels. Um, I, I was without answers. I didn't really know what was wrong. So I made some changes that summer. I changed my major. I changed my roommate. I changed the place that I was going to be living. But I really couldn't change me. And I found that out later as I started my sophomore year uh, on that forsaken hall, E2 of Johnstone, where if you can imagine um, 100, 120 college guys away from home for the first time with a little bit of freedom, maybe a little bit of money, it's a, it's a very tough environment for God to choose to grow you in discipleship. And I look back on that and see that as being a, 
a real miracle that God did that. But in the midst of that depravity, God had planted an engineering student, a young student who was not on any staff there. He was just a normal Christian, growing, flourishing, uh, doing the things that Jesus did. And uh, for some strange reason, um, God put me on that hall and this young guy, Jeff Allen, befriended me. And um, we, be- we got to know each other. We just clicked. And um, as we grew in a relationship, uh, I remember one evening Jeff asking me detailed questions about my faith. He kind of earned that right to do that. And, uh, and I was honest with Jeff and I told him that I was not... Uh, walking with Christ, that I really believed that I was a a Christian, but I was not walking with Jesus. I wasn't hanging out with people that were interested in doing that. And um, and I'll remember this forever. It's a milestone event in my life when uh, Jesus or or Jeff got the, the scriptures out and he showed me all the passages where God talks about Christians growing and becoming mature in Christ and learning how to reproduce and learning how to um, be who we really already are. And uh, he ended that with a challenge which was pretty simple. Um, Nethery, you need to grow as a, as a Christian. Um, I'm willing to, com- I'll commit to helping you do that. You join this Bible study that I'm leading and I'll help you do that. And so I shoot him out of there. Uh, you know how it is when you, you get a bucket of truth dumped on you like that and God lets it soak and um, you think and you pray. And it was only a matter of weeks that I decided to take that step of faith. It doesn't seem like a step of faith when you th- think about that, but that was a big step for me at that time. And that little step of faith, um, God truly rewarded. I, I jumped into that Bible study and began, uh, God began showing me things I'd never seen before. I learned truths that were not apparent to me. And I think it was God just honoring that little step of faith that I took. Um, I described my, the rest of my college experience at Clemson in a real strange way, but it really is how it seems to me. Um, I, I, I think the way I would say it is this. I, I graduated uh, with a degree in how to walk with Jesus. I re- I, that's, that's what it came down to. Um, I did get a degree in industrial management. Uh, God uh, miraculously saved my grades and academic standing and all that from that disastrous first year. And he's used that, that degree to provide for my family over the years in, in many, many ways. But uh, the, the experience that I got in learning how to grow as a Christian really was a milestone event and it set the course for the rest of my life. And all the way down to, it changed so much about my life, all the way down to um, who I would marry, who I was looking for to marry. And uh, in my senior year, um, a girl named Jeannie Schriefer came into my life. I met her. And the next year, I talked her into becoming Jeannie Nethery. 
And um, she has been such a, a, a godly wife, a great partner, um, a, a, a godly mother. Her, her fingerprints are all over our children's academic education and their spiritual development. Uh, just, just God just used her in many, many ways. Our kids are grown. Susanna and Travis are in Anderson, South Carolina. They have five children. Um, James and Kendall are in Beaufort, South Carolina. They have two children and one on the way. Caroline and John are in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And they have recently married, haven't started a family, but we believe that they will contribute. We're pretty, pretty sure about that. I look back on uh, my experience, my life, and uh, just see so many ways that God lavished his grace, his mercy. And um, I think about that passage in Isaiah 65 uh, where God says, I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. And I really see the miraculous ways that God has done that over the years and praise him for all of that. Um, I love those people that I told you about in my family more than anything else in the world. Uh, I love this church. Uh, we love the leadership. We love the teaching. We love the worship. We love the people. Um, we've been here since 2007 and we believe that God has some great big things planned for Hope Point Church. Um, I am totally undone when I think about serving as an elder. Um, and the reason for that is because I know me so well. I know, my, I know my sins. I know my faults and shortcomings. Um, but like every other thing that God's called me to do in life that I felt like I couldn't do, that I didn't have the power to do, I'm going to trust him to fill in the voids and uh, to do the things for me that he's called me to do. So I'm, I'm looking forward to serving in that way any way I can and just praise God for all that he's done in my life and the life of my family. Blessings. Thanks. I feel very guilty when I ask men like this to sum up their 60-year life uh, in seven minutes, and I appreciate that both of them were co committed to that. Um, and uh, I do have a lot of heroes in my life in the faith. Uh, uh, Todd and Roy are, are among those. Uh, believe it or not, Roy, I mean, Todd has served here five years. This is what I love is, is when he said, I, I'm undone by being an elder. He was one of our executive pastors here for five years and, uh, and uh, left that to go build robots somewhere. And uh, now is coming back to serve as elders and... and um, I, you know, as I listen to uh, Todd and Roy's testimony, the, the thing that, you know, they come from different backgrounds and different educations, different regions of the country, and yet the one thing that they both have in common is they both came to a place in their life where they heard God calling them to repent. They're walking a direction, and God says, I want you to change directions. Leave that, leave those values, and leave that pursuit, and come follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your 
heart. So I want to talk to you about that today of the necessity and beauty of repentance because building on that, I want to tap into Revelation 9.21 where we were a few weeks ago, the necessity and beauty of repentance. If We're going to start with a working definition we'll call repentance the continual act of turning from sin and returning to God. We say this a lot around here. Salvation once, uh, you're saved once, but you repent continually. So repentance is a continual act. Through the Bible, uh, you're going to see many, many instances where God is calling his people to come back to him. And I want to tell you that the number one problem in the world today is not very difficult to figure out. People are trying to make it very confusing. Is the world uh, and the church is not repenting from sin and coming to God. And people will tell you a lot of different reasons that the world is in trouble or the world is in pain. It's a lack of repentance on those that God is calling. The world and sometimes God's own people love sin more than the Lord. That's what we saw in Revelation two weeks ago. Five times in Revelation chapter 9, we saw that God had warned the world, you're departing from me, and through five judgments all the way from judgments on the water, judgments on the land, even judgments on earthly satisfactions, five judgments that would have gotten anybody's attention that really wanted to hear truth, but it didn't affect that culture. And so the book of Revelation summed it up like this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or, or their thefts. As we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to come many times where you say, hey, I disagree with the way you interpreted this. I think it refers to that, and all of that is fine. But the one thing that we can't deny, when you come to Revelation 9.21, you say, oh, we are all in agreement. The problem with the world is they refuse to repent even after unbelievable warnings from the Lord. Nobody in this culture is confused about who God is. He has made that unmistakably clear through the writings of Scripture and a 21 century witness of truth through the preaching of the church. No one doesn't know from creation to their conscience to the witness of the church who God is. We are all in agreement. The problem with the world is they refuse to repent. When you go to the New Testament, you'll see the word repent or repentance used 47 times, which is pretty strong in a little book uh, that's not very large. The New Testament is, is really not a long book. 47 times God's calling us to repent. And yet for a, a concept that is so precious to God, it is interesting how rare it is that you would come to church and hear a message where you were being called to repent. It's almost as if God's own people and God's own leaders have lost their nerve and their confidence in Scripture to say that the primary thing that's going wrong with culture is a lack of repentance. Just afraid to say it. As a matter of fact, culture is saying, we will come to church when the church repents from its teaching on repentance. But it's impossible to know God apart from repenting from sin. What does it mean to repent? If you look at it from an Old Testament perspective, the Old Testament 
Hebrew word shub means to turn or to return. Turn away from sin, turn back to God. You could show it many times, many different ways. We'll use these verses out of Ezekiel 14.6. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, shub. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. 18.30. Ezekiel, repent, turn, shub. Turn away from all your offenses and then your sin will not be your downfall. In the New Testament, repentance is even further clarified that it's not just a turning away from that which is wrong or specifically turning toward God, but it's turning toward God through Jesus Christ. The very first message that Jesus ever preached was on repentance. Mark 1, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So repentance is it's not just, you know, believing that sin is bad, but it's believing that Jesus is better, and that's what drives the repentance. I want to leave that which is not of Christ so I can enjoy all of Christ. A truly repentant person will believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate good news. Son of God died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, conquered, conquered the grave. So we repent because there's something better. We turn from self-righteousness so Jesus can give us his righteousness. We turn from self-reliance so Jesus can lead us. We turn from lies so Jesus can teach us. We turn from shame so Jesus can cleanse us. That's why we repent. Is there something better than sin? It's, it's Jesus. You could look at it this way. There's one coin and there's two sides of that coin. The coin is salvation. You might call it um, redemption or conversion. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means that you, on one side of the coin, you are turning from sin. On the other side of the coin, you are turning to Christ. So if you are a professing believer today and you're not repenting, you've not been converted. Or if you are living a life where you're turning away from certain behaviors, but you're not following Christ, you've not been converted. True conversion is one coin, two sides, turning from sin, turning to Christ. It's amazing, not only did Jesus begin his ministry with a call to repentance, he ended his ministry with a call to repentance. This is what he told his church they are to do. In this particular case, he had just risen from the dead, walking to a village called Emmaus with two disciples, and he instructed them about what the message ought to be for, from here on out. This is what is written, he said. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Oh, those are marching orders. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples, make sure you preach that men must repent in order to be forgiven. And then so he began his ministry with repentance. He ended it with preaching repentance and right in the middle. Interesting example here of where he said repent. He was talking with a group of people. They were talking about two calamities that had occurred in the region. 
there had been an act of violence that resulted in bloodshed and death. And then there had been a, a, a tower that had fallen that had killed 18 people. And the crowd that was gathered around Jesus said, did all of those people die because they were bad people? And Jesus shocked them in his answer. Luke 13, 3, no, it's not why they died. Unless you repent, you too will perish. I believe if there's any one sermon that you can go back and say that's why Jesus died, it probably was that one. Because he demolished the self-righteousness of his entire culture that said, everybody who's listening to me, if you don't turn from that which is wrong and turn and follow me, you will repent, you will, you will perish even as they repair it, they perished. That message was hated by culture. It was hated by his culture and it cost him his life. It's hated by our culture. It will cost people their lives. And yet Jesus, who loved his culture more than anybody has ever loved their culture, said, I'm not changing my message. I'm going to demand that the culture repent. It's the only way to God. Earlier in the sermon I told you that the Old Testament word for repent comes from shub, the Hebrew word. There's a Greek word that puts a little different angle on it, metanoia, which means a change of one's mind. What does it mean to repent? It means I have had a change of mind. I was thinking this way about God for all of my life and all of a sudden I realized my thinking about God is wrong. I've thought the wrong things about God and therefore I have missed God. I am going to start thinking differently about God because my thinking is, is wrong. I find it amazing right now. You can feel the tension and the battle in the culture right now is the culture. It's not just that they're just sinning. They are refusing to say, I'm thinking wrong thoughts about God. Well, not even, not even about change. They won't even admit they're thinking wrong. It's how old or utterly lost our culture is. They don't even feel the possibility that their thinking is wrong. It's called depravity. You could see wrong thinking that was addressed by the apostles preaching in the early church. Here Paul is at, in Athens, Greece, and he's telling them about their wrong thinking. Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, Greece, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue and in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So when you look at his reasoning, he's getting at their thinking that's mentally they don't understand who God is. That's what his preaching is about. This is, this is where their thinking was wrong. His sermon, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples by human hands. So he's telling them, your thinking is wrong. God is not an idol. He doesn't live in the temples you built. You are giving glory to your business. You're giving glory to your strength. You're giving glory to your idols. Your thinking is wrong. So what do you do when you all of a sudden realize my thinking is wrong about the values of my life? Paul said you repent. 
In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to admit my thinking is wrong about God. And so just to make sure we're not talking about just thinking about my behavior is wrong, I need to change my behavior. No, your, your behavior is wrong, but when you turn, you need to turn all the way to Christ. That was the end of his sermon. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. He's still preaching in Athens. For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he's appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from, from the dead. So he's telling them to start thinking differently. My thinking about God is wrong. I'm an idolater. I need to follow a man whose name is Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead. So this is where repentance begins. It always begins in the mind. If your mind cannot grasp, now I'm telling you, obviously repenting in our body, you deal with stuff like addictions and all that, that's really hard. Struggle, a lot of us understand what that is. But if you can't even say in your mind, the direction of my life is wrong, very, very far from God. Repentance begins in the mind. It's nothing casual and all of a sudden it dawns on you. I'm not walking with God. My values are wrong. My thinking is wrong. Repentance begins in the mind. You'll never change your life if, you, if it doesn't dawn on your thinking. There was a group of people that the Apostle Peter, the way that he spoke to them in his sermon about 40 days after Jesus died. He performed this great miracle in front of the temple. There was a crippled man who asked Peter for money. Peter said, I don't have any money, but I have Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, walk. And all of a sudden, this crippled man got up. Huge miracle. Everybody saw it. And everybody thought Peter had power in himself. So Peter begins to preach. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he is completely healed, as you all can see. So Peter's, don't look at me. I did it by Christ's power. But once he brings up the name of Jesus, there's a big by the way in the sermon. By the way, that's the man you just killed. God has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed just six weeks earlier. You disowned him before the governor. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. What a sermon. She say, well, what did... What do you do when all of a sudden you realize that you had been thinking wrong about Jesus? I thought he was a, a troublemaker. I thought he was fake. I thought he was a religious fraud, a huckster. And now I realize I was part of the crowd. And this is a, this is a crowd of influential people, people of notoriety. And he's saying, you murdered God's son. Now look at this word of hope. Once they are understanding my thinking was wrong about Jesus. 
Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, wrong thinking, as you did your leader, as did your leaders. Repent then. Start thinking rightly about Jesus. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, erased. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So repentance begins in the mind. I thought wrongly about God. I thought wrongly about Jesus. I'm going to change my thinking. I realize that Jesus is supremely valuable. And then we see that repentance, which begins in the mind, I'm walking in the wrong direction. I had the wrong values. I thought wrongly about God, wrongly about Jesus. And that leads to a change of life. See this also in the preaching of Paul. He has been arrested at this point that we're about to read for preaching the name of Christ. And he tells us as he's preaching before the man who's going to determine his fate, he's giving his testimony to this king just like these men gave their testimony today. This is Paul's testimony of what Jesus told him to say that caused him to end up in prison. Paul's remembering the day he met Christ and Jesus says to him, I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul says, this is what got me in trouble in your city, O king. And then Paul goes on to say, but I did what he asked me to do. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their changed life. Repentance begins in the mind, affects the heart, which results in a, a changed life. Let me tell you something. When, all, when you, you say, how do I know I'm, I'm repenting in my mind? Because when it dawns on you, both dawned on Roy, after that retreat and his pastor got saved, happened in Roy's mind. Oh my goodness. Had this mint. So I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is when your mind is aware that you don't know God, it's not a casual thing. Todd, when he was asked by that fellow student, are you walking with Christ? His mind all of a sudden, no, I'm not. His mind knew I'm not. It's not a casual piece of information that's just cold and academic. It's, it's living and it bothers you. It's like if you're in a car, you need, you're looking for exit 47, you need to get off there, but you're driving, the music may be loud, you may be involved in a wonderful conversation with your wife or not a wonderful conversation with your wife. The kids may be a little bit rowdy in the back, but all of a sudden, 50 miles past exit 47. Wow, I missed it. You're 50 miles off course. When that information comes to your head, it's not like, oh. No, it like makes you mad. I wasted an hour. Listen, when your mind is affected with the knowledge that I've been wasting life been traveling down the wrong road away from God. These are not his values I've been looking for. It is a 
more than a casual piece of information. It seeps its way down and causes the heart to feel great conviction and sorrow. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So repenting is not just regretting I'm in trouble. I'm 50 miles down the road. I should, it's not... It's not just uh, wishing that things were different. It is a sorrow that I've used my life in a way that doesn't honor God. It affects your heart. So repentance starts in the mind, produces sorrow in the heart, and that's what produces a changed life. You say it like this. True repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction because you've had a change of heart. All of a sudden you realize how I've treated God, how I've ignored God. It breaks your heart and you change. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, great preacher in Olney, England, grew up as a, a sailor on a ship, a blasphemer with his mouth, no morals, could feel no conviction of God with his conscience. His occupation was to transport slaves from Africa to England. And on board a ship, a, on one of these trips, a storm arose. It should have capsized the ship. Everybody should have died, but the ship survived and they eventually docked in a, a harbor in Ireland. John Newton, he knew that God had saved his life. And so when he got on dry land, he got, found a Bible, began to read it, to read about Jesus Christ. And 57 years after that day that he picked up that Bible, he recorded these words that were preserved in his diary. I stood in need of an almighty Savior, and such a one I found described in the New Testament. I was no longer an infidel, I heartily renounced my former profaneness and was sincerely touched with a sense of the undeserved mercy I had received. I was sorry for my past misspent life. If you've ever heard anybody say, I wouldn't change a thing about my life, they just told you they're lost and without the Lord. Because everybody who knows Jesus Christ will speak with John Newton. I'm sorry. I have great sorrow over my past misspent life. Hours, days where I neglected God. Repentance means you have an understanding in your mind. It breaks your heart. And it results in a passion to change your life and to walk in the ways of God. So if your mind does not admit that you've been wrong about God, you've not repented. If the information in your mind does not lead sorrow to sorrow over the way you've lived, you've not repented. If that sorrow does not change your life, the direction of it, you've not repented and you're not converted. The starting place of a relationship with God is in your mind. I have sinned against God and it's combined with a longing in your heart, I want to turn and walk with Christ. The last person who shows us this in the Bible that I want to refer to today 
is the man who prepared the world for the coming of Christ. His ministry was just six months ahead of Jesus. The Bible calls him John the Baptizer because so many people came to him to be baptized. And I love how his, I love how his baptism is described. In Luke chapter 3, the word of God came to John who lived in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's trying to tell us that when somebody's baptized, what they're saying is, I am repenting, I'm turning from sin. Says it again in Matthew chapter 3. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. These people who walked down that dusty, rocky bank into the dirty Jordan River were saying one thing. I'm not a good person. I don't have a good heart. I need to change. I'm a sinner. I've missed God. And I want to go into the water. I want to meet Christ. I want to cling to truth. And my old life, I want to leave it right there in the water. I want to leave it in the river. And I want to come out a new man. This is what a baptism of repentance is all about. You enter the water one way. Your profession and your confession is, I give all my past to Christ. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me new, and you walk out having left that old life in the water and walking with him in newness of life. And you say, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't either. Not on your own, but you can based on the last thing that John said before Christ arrived. You're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it with the help of the, of the, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. John told the crowd, I baptized you with water for repentance change that you say I want to change I want to leave it in the water but after me comes one who is more powerful than I and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire John's message is yes confess your longing to turn but then place your faith in Jesus Christ who will give you his Holy Spirit and just as fire burns away an entire forest the life and fire and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit will burn away all addiction and bitterness in your life, not overnight, but over the rest of your life, once saved, always repenting by the help and power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.